is time for another episode of By All Means right here on Western Reserve Radio. It is Season 3, Episode 12. The countdown to 100 episodes is on as this is the 90th episode. They have all been presented by our friends at Mill Creek Golf Course. Visit millcreekmetroparks.org for more information. Find us on Facebook. Look for Western Reserve Radio on Twitter at WR underscore radio. Download the live 365 or tune-in apps or just head on over to westernreserveradio.com. A little bit later on in the show, we'll talk about uh, they're putting me behind the mic again to call some baseball games, and we'll tell you all about that coming up later on in the show. But today, it is remembering the Youngstown Steelhounds. We're going to talk to two of the former play-by-play voices of the Steelhounds, as, of course, coming up on uh, Saturday night. Youngstown fans remember the Steelhounds. They're wearing Steelhounds jerseys. It's going to be all kinds of fun on Saturday's broadcast here on Western Reserve Radio. Don't want to give a whole lot away for that, but uh, we'll start our portion of that by talking to the last play-by-play voice of the Youngstown Steelhounds. That is my friend Tim Samsell, who is now up in the Buffalo area. Tim, my friend, it is good to catch back up with you. Great to be back with you, Mark. So, you know... I, I, I let's go back to the very beginning of this. I know you joined the franchise in the middle of the season. How did you find uh, the Youngstown Steelhounds, or how did they find you to you know kind of represent the team in the broadcast world for the last season and a half? Well, I just I was relatively fresh out of college, and I sent resumes and demos to every minor league hockey team in the country. And, uh, I mean, I think I sent over a hundred at that time. And just one day got a, got a email and a phone call. And then, uh, you know, I was young and hungry and interested. And so, you know, uh, me and a buddy drove out there for a, uh, the Saturday game that got moved up a couple of hours for the game of the century, uh, the Ohio State-Michigan game, and they were wearing the uh, uh, Ohio State jerseys, and they were trying to auction them off. And I'm sitting in Herb Washington's suite, and Herb was the owner of the team. And, you know, mind you, I'm, I'm there on an interview, but I'm all in a suit. And the the auction just wasn't going too well, and you know I want the job, so I I just opened my big mouth and said, "I'll go try and sell some jerseys." And Herb Washington, Herb looks at me and goes, "All right, let's see what you can do." And he points to his right hand man and says, "Bring him down there." And we ended up selling Chris Richards' jersey for four thousand dollars, and uh, the rest is. Uh, history and that's a that's a way to make a hell of an impression by just saying yep i'll I'll take care of this just let me go let me let me go handle it and then uh, of course that ended up getting you the play-by-play job for the next year and a half with the team and i i got a lot i want to go down memory lane with you but the thing that i remember most about this league and the time the steel hounds were in it was uh it was fighting around some hockey, if I remember correctly. The, that league was really known for, you know, a lot of guys either trying to get back up or, you know, still trying to play professionally. And, boy, guys in that league really loved to throw the gloves off and go to town. 
Yeah, so I, I think what, what has to be said is, so back then there were two levels of double-A hockey to kind of make the baseball comparison. And the, the ECHL, where there's still a team in Wheeling, they were more of the affiliated league and more players would go up to the AHL. And we had some that would go up to the AHL, but, but the central hockey league, the CHL by and large was more of an independent hockey league, a, a little bit, uh, the affiliations were a little bit more loose. You know, the Steelhounds were affiliated with Columbus. But there wasn't a ton of moving back and forth amongst the system. I, I specifically remember the last season of the team, we did get Kevin Jarman for a little while from Syracuse when they were affiliated with Columbus. Peter Pohl uh, was drafted by the Blue Jackets and ended up with us for, for most of that season. But there wasn't a ton of movement between CHL players and the AH and the AHL, but that's I mean the CHL, man, they could play and they could fight. And they they had no problem dropping gloves and, and going at it, especially if the building was full. I, I remember one Saturday night game specifically at the arena where Memphis was in town and we were sold out, man. Standing room only, and the Hounds gotten a pretty good lead, and most of the third period was fights because I, I think our players loved having such a big crowd in the building, and and you know wanted more of those crowds, so they were more than willing to drop the gloves in the name of of entertaining the fans. And you know, it seemed like it, it was challenging, especially early on, because. You know, being between, you know, Columbus and Pittsburgh and, you know, having an AHL team in, in Cleveland, the Youngstown area really wasn't, you know, there was no hockey. There was no high school hockey back then. You know, when the Phantoms came in, you know, in the mid 2000s, when the Steelhounds came in in the mid 2000s, you know, there was no hockey. So a lot of time was spent teaching the fans and what a hockey, some novice hockey fans, what do they enjoy most? when they drop the gloves and, you know, trying to square off in the, in the middle of the rink. Yeah. They like the fighting and they like the scoring and they like the hit. That was, those were the three big things. And, you know, I thought we did a good job educating the fans about the sport of hockey. And I, I thought our uh, booster club and our season ticket holders did a nice job of, of being kind of a public face of the team as well to uh, newer fans. So take me back to that, that year and a half, some of your, your favorite memories, some of your favorite players. I mean, that was, I mean, I, I will say this, when we put the radio on, and I was a, a part of the, the radio affiliate at, at the time you were doing games, that's how we got to know each other. Boy, but when we turned the game on, man, brother, you brought the energy the entire broadcast. There was no doubt about that. Yeah, well, I, I just I love the game, and I, I grew to just love Youngstown. I still have some great friends out there. Uh, you know, uh, trying to so obviously that that uh, Saturday night game against Memphis. 
where it was sold out. That was a, a big one. Uh, there were a couple of games against uh, Wichita. And uh, I remember when Jeff Christian came back as a Tulsa Oiler. And uh, the crowd really let him have it. And, you know, funny enough, I think Jeff lives in Ohio again. So, you know, he, he preferred uh, us over Oklahoma for sure. Uh, Chris Richards was a favorite player. Uh, easily, it's a shame the league no longer exists because he's a he's a top five all-time great in the history of the Central Hockey League. Uh, him along with Travis Clayton from uh, Wichita and I would say Riley Tolbert from Colorado, just offhand, those three guys, easily three of the, the best of the top five guys to ever lace up skates and, and play in that league. And, you know, any time the Hounds played the Colorado Eagles, it was uh, an intense game. And I remember one of those last regular season games where uh, – you know, uh, one of the Eagles, the Eagles captain, actually, Greg uh, Pankowitz, he he was so upset that he was reaching over the Steel Hounds uh, bench. I think he tried getting a hold of, of Patty, of Brad Patterson, actually, uh, the current Phantoms head coach. And uh, Brad was another guy that uh, I loved talking with. And, uh, you know, he was really, really smart on the ice, and you can see why he's such a great coach. Uh, you know, we had the late, great Jason Baird on the team who had a fantastic shootout move, penalty shot move, uh, seemed to get everybody with the big fake, fake slap shot. Of course, Dallas Anderson was a big fighter. David Samoa was a big fighter. We had some good goaltenders back then, too. Uh, Andy Frank, Brad Roberts, who went to Army. You know, we lovingly called him Army. And just the, the whole group of guys—they were—they were so much fun to be around. And, and I think what everybody should know too is they were pros. They were professionals. And I remember Stephen Marjison. You know, and I talked earlier about the team. You know, the league being more independent. Yeah, but these guys still took their their role as a professional athlete very seriously. I, I remember. All of the guys, but, but Steven Martinson jumps out immediately as somebody who was like early to the rank, getting his workouts in and his treatments, and then staying after practice, getting more workouts in, and, and just doing things to, to build up his strength and hone his skills. And they all did that. They, you know, if you were to look at any locker room in, in the NHL, the, the Steelhound players and all the players in the Central Hockey League did very many of the same locker room warm-up and pre-game and post-game routines that, that players in the NHL did back then and do today. Now, Tim, I, I got to ask you because I know when I mentioned you were known for your energy, but you were also known for the catchphrases that you developed and the one that I continue to joke with you when we catch up is still, uh, I am standing on my chair. And if people wondered, that that wasn't a catchphrase. You were actually doing that. You were standing on the chair. Kind of tell us about that. So, yeah, no, that was that was our necessity. So when they built the, the arena downtown, they put the press box in the corner. And so there was a goal down at the far end of the ice, and I just 
for the life of me, I just could not get a good vantage point. And so I, I stood up on my chair to try and kind of see more around the corner and get a better vantage point. And it was, it was just natural. It, it just, it just came out. And then, you know, fans started having fun with that. And they were asking me to do that all the time. And like, well, I only did it cause I couldn't see, but sure. You know, <laughs> But yeah, it kind of took on it kind of took on a life of its own. <laughs> and, and you about know, those catchphrases, whether and that's with with any great announcer that does their job, where you know something happens naturally and it becomes something that becomes part of the broadcast, or your oh doctor goal calls. I mean, I put stuff out on social media the last you know week to ten days about this interview, and you know our old friend Tom Williams, who at the time worked at the Vindicator. Retweeted it with the hashtag "Oh Doctor." You know the 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 yeah. Steelhounds did the the same exact thing uh, back then, or you know the Phantoms recently with that, and it just became we knew when we heard that we knew it was you. Yeah, and I'm pretty uh, humbled that I mean it's been 14 years, and I, you know, uh, people who in Youngstown who are friends with me on Facebook, I still get "Oh Doctors." Uh, occasionally and definitely on my birthday and uh it's it's pretty uh incredible to know that that uh that that call uh has has stuck i mean i've been gone for 14 years the hounds have been gone for 14 years but yet the uh, oh doctor uh oh doctor still remains in the in the hearts and i guess the, the ears of uh, the youngstown hockey faithful it's pretty cool and we are going to, uh, you know, you may hear a little bit of that and some of your great calls uh, throughout the broadcast on Saturday here on Western Reserve Radio. And uh, appreciate not only being able to catch up with you because we've talked a couple of times now off the air since we hatched this idea once the Phantoms announced they were doing this. And uh, we've stayed friends for 14 years and uh, going to stay friends for a lot longer. But I appreciate you just taking this trip down memory lane with us today. Anytime. Thanks for having me. So uh, that is uh, one of the former voices of the Youngstown Steelhounds. That's our friend, Tim Sampsell. We are up against a break here in just a couple of minutes. But again, it is going to be a lot of fun on Saturday night. Because don't forget, if you're not at the rink on Saturday for Steelhounds night, or if you're at the rink, I should say, bring the, you know, bring the, uh, the phone, bring some headphones, you know, pop on westernreserveradio.com or, you know, the Live 365 uh, app or tune in to be able to listen to some of the great things we are going to do throughout the broadcast. Jim and Dave have been working very hard on getting everything ready uh, for Saturday's game. Of course, Matt Lipsack, the current voice of the Phantoms, will have a great call for that game on Saturday night. That is also, I believe, pucks and pause night, and that's where I pause, and if I'm wrong, Dave would correct me, and he didn't, so I may have actually remembered that properly. So, again, huge thank you to our friend Tim Sampsell, the final radio play-by-play voice of the Youngstown Steelhounds. Coming up, we're going to bounce around a little bit of everything on what's trending. We'll talk some college basketball, some high school football, a little more college basketball. We'll do all that next right here. By all means, Western Reserve Radio.
Nane at center ice. Far side to Richards. Richards in over the line. To the far side. Face off circle. Drops it back. They score! Oh, Docker! And the smokestacks are whistling in Slovakia. The Slovakian smokestack, Milan Maslaka, on the power play. one nothing, Young Sound. Oh, I remember that call as if it was yesterday. That is the uh, former voice of those Steel Hounds, Tim Samsell, who joined us in the opening segment as we jump into what's trending. And you know one of the things that is trending? The work that Jim and Dave are putting behind this broadcast on Saturday. And we've been talking for about two weeks about this, Dave, and what you guys are putting in the overtime to get ready for Saturday. Yeah, there's uh, you'll hear our normal broadcast and everything normal on Friday night. Then come Saturday, look out, because me and Jim have, like, Really worked overtime on this. Um, possible, we're working on a new open for the game, new new bits, new segments. Uh, some of it, Matt Lipsack don't even know about yet. <laughs> some of it could oh, be a surprise to him. I bet I know what you're talking about. Yeah, we got we got some surprises for Matt that he's gonna love. It's nothing that's gonna uh, tick him off in the middle of a broadcast. We wouldn't do that to him, but uh, he's you he's do, really gonna love do- it. You guys have a history of, uh, I don't know, creative liners that maybe your your talent might not love. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, we kind of did that in football season to you guys. So. Yeah, and then you got annoyed because neither one of us texted you any comments after it because you wanted you wanted we're trying to rile us up and it didn't work. Yeah, well, you, um, you even got I'm, Larry in on it. Oh, Larry's the one who voiced him. Larry loved it. <laughs> so. Right? Yeah, you wrote the script and Larry did the voiceover work. I'll, right. I'll deal with Larry later. Yes. Yeah, so. All right. But yeah, What's let's trending. Uh, you know what, Mark? The biggest trend is actually that game this coming Saturday. The, the the money that the Phantoms have put into this game for just putting it out there in the media and everything. This game is going to be huge, and I hope the fans respond. Um, jersey auction after the game, they will actually be auctioning off the jerseys that the players are wearing. Um, if you look towards, if you're at the game, you look towards the press box. Let's just say most of the press box is going to be wearing jerseys too, I think. So let me just say this. If anybody from the front office is listening, I hope they are. I would really love one of those. I know you're going to auction them off, but if one ever showed up in my front door, I would not complain. Yeah, none of Let's us really would. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so we got the, uh, we're down to four teams left at college basketball. And the thing that I think is most interesting is everybody that follows college hoops, they know about the Duke-North Carolina rivalry. But how about this is the first time ever when they meet this weekend in one of uh, you know the last three games remaining this season because we can't say some of the other terms because you know we'll get in trouble for that. Right. Uh, they meet in the, one of those final games for the first time ever. In the NCAA tournament, those two schools have never played each other. I think most of the time they've ended up in the same part of the bracket, though. Isn't that right? They, you know, they, they've been on paths to play each other. It just never worked out that way. Yeah. They split the regular season series 1-1, uniquely winning on each other's floor. Of course, uh, Carolina won in Cameron. On Coach K's final home game, they blew him out of the gym by plus 10. 
I may or may not have texted our buddy that's a big Duke fan that night. Yeah, we'll yeah. Just, I was we'll going to ask you about that. Will there be any texting going on if they lose this well, game? Well, no, because <laughs> all of my teams are out, so I have no room to say anything now. Oh, that's true. <laughs> but I can say Ohio State did beat Duke this year. Yes, you can. So the other half of you know, the, the teams remaining in the tournament is Villanova and Kansas. Kansas, Dave, the only number one left. Which I is look at it, hard to believe, but... Yeah, because my Wildcats, that being Arizona, they didn't really play good against Houston. But no. here's, the th- here's the thing about it. If for picking brackets, this tournament has been awful. Oh, yeah. I won't tell you when my bracket went in the trash, but it has been a while. I, I will but, guess after the first weekend. <laughs> eh, I, I made it till Arizona lost and, and Gonzaga lost before it went into the trash, but not far after that. Yeah. So... As of filling out a bracket, it's been awful. As a fan, when you get something like you know, St. Peter's getting to the Elite Eight, yeah, that and you, was you go, wait a minute, who yeah. the hell is St. Peter's and they're the Peacocks? Really? The Peter's Peacocks, yep. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that was an amazing story for them. You know, first team getting, you know, for a 15, getting that far into the tournament. Oh, just the recognition that they got over with those wins going up to that point. Um, look out I mean, recruiting class in, for them next year. And they, they got a player with, uh, you know, a national endorsement deal with a, um, you know, a wing place mm. with the word wing in it. And mm-hmm. we'll just, we'll just leave, we'll, we'll just, just leave, leave it, it at that. that. But yeah, Dave and I have spent a few minutes in, in their establishments around the Valley. I guess we have. <laughs> uh, other thing to talk about <laughs> is YSU men's basketball season came to an end last Wednesday. They went out to Fresno state they had an early lead. They weren't able to hold on to it, and they fell to Fresno State in the Basketball Classic 80-71. to They finished the year at 19-15. and But while I have a minute, let me pay a compliment because I probably watched every YSU home game or, or close to it on ESPN Plus this year. Mm-hmm. The job that they do with a lot of students on hand and some students calling play-by-play you know, for the women's games, and, you know, you've got uh, Rob Schmidt and Ron Potesta mixed in there on the broadcast, two guys I've known for, you know, 20-plus years. Yep, you and me both. <laughs> the, the job that they do, compared to the job visually that was done in that game, just kudos to YSU for the production job that they put on. Oh, yeah. YSU's already, Those games are phenomenal have... to watch. Oh, yeah, and we've known because we've done other games outside of doing YSU games at the Beagley Center. Their, their production room. It's second to none. Yeah, it is. It, 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 I mean, I was tapping into equipment with them to do a couple broadcasts that we did at a former station that me and you had at one right. time. And uh, it, 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 was, it was just phenomenal when they opened those doors. And it's like, uh, I want. Right, yeah. It's like, <laughs> okay, what do you want? Because we've got it. Yeah. So I want to get to one other thing, and this one other thing is something that bugs me. And for the average person, it's not a big deal. But when you've been calling high school football games as long as I have, it bugs me. And it bugs me for just one particular reason. The OHSA announced this past week for the first two rounds of the playoffs, games will only be played on Friday. And that is based on, from what I hear, the fact that the coaches prefer to play games on Friday. And I get that from their perspective because besides a few exceptions of some games on Saturday or Thursday early on in the season, 
it's what they're used to. And high school kids' routine is good, especially to keep game day the same. But what it does, and I know this isn't considered, and it shouldn't be considered, but what it does is it takes away all of the media across the state of Ohio from covering multiple teams. Right. For the first two rounds. Which which we did. We've done since, geez, we were doing games at 1240. We'd always right. I mean, do a Friday, Saturday during playoffs. And I look forward to a triple header because I would do a Friday night game, high school, right. Saturday afternoon, Grove City, Saturday night, high school game. And, you know, that's we hope that we have a lot of teams playing in the third round right. this fall. And then, and but then, you never know. And then Mark Sunday would call me and go, I have no voice. I'm, like, I'm not doing anything on Sunday. <laughs> right. I don't even have a voice left to, to yell at the Browns on TV. Right. <laughs> but what it now does, and I hope my colleagues across the Valley, especially all those of us that do things radio and or streaming, that we will communicate. Because it would be a shame if more than one of us shows up on a Friday night those first two weeks to cover a game. Right. Yeah, we're, we're because it would be nice if uh, it would happen because then we can cover more teams and nobody's competing and walking on each other in a press box. Well, not only that, but I mean, we're, you know, everybody's going to want to gravitate towards the higher seeded teams and right. you know the fact that you don't have to travel as far. And I, I get all of that, but we're now forced into a situation where we have to pick and choose, and we we still have to pick and choose anyway because you know there's usually multiple teams each night. Right, but. You're now saying you can cover one team for the first two rounds. Yep. And you, you never know with the things that we do. When we can cover one team, we could cover two teams, we could potentially cover more than two teams. Just you never know. Right. The possibilities are endless. So as, as much as I look forward to the playoffs, and I, I understand why it was done and it makes perfect sense, but it now is taking a team that may not get a lot of coverage and they may not get any coverage those first couple of weeks till they, you know, hopefully they can continue oh, winning and right and, and, and playing and, in the third round. And you can have a lower seeded team that ends up coming out of those two weeks ahead that didn't get the coverage that they would have had had they played on a Saturday. So because that's always one of the, by the time we get to out of week three or four, I'm getting a text from somebody in our group. Mm-hmm. Hey, what divisions play on what night coming up round one? Right. That way we can, because we're already thinking about who we want to follow. Right. Yeah. But, you know, and, and, alumni affiliations out the window, allegedly. Right. And, week, and by week five, we're already planning on who we're covering. Because you can already, always get a sense of who's going to be there come week 11 and 12. And the benefit of that is knowing that you know, your, our local teams are going to be at home on Friday. Right. And Especially you've already got established relationships. part of their divisions. So, so you know what? It, it is what it is, and we continue to work around it and continue to adjust to it. And, uh, you know, we may already be, you know, Dave, Jim, and I may be talking scheduling already. Maybe you have been I have for about, the past couple of weeks. <laughs> I have about uh, 18 schedules gathered so far. Oh. Which so doesn't we, surprise me about you this time of year. No. Well, you know, I like to have the schedule done before my birthday. That gives me about a month. Yep. Speaking of that, happy birthday to you as we wrap up the segment. Thank you. What, 25? Yep, 25 going strong. <laughs> 25 almost times two. <laughs> we'll take a break. We'll come back. Bob Hoffman, the original voice of the Steelhounds, is up next. By all means.
This is Everett Fitzhugh, the radio voice of the NHL Seattle Kraken, and you're listening to the home of the Youngstown Phantoms Western Reserve Radio. By all means, continues here on Western Reserve Radio. We have had a lot of luck getting hockey announcers on this show. You just heard our buddy Everett Fitzhugh, who's now the radio voice of the Seattle Kraken, who spent some time here in the Valley as the former voice of the Youngstown Phantoms. I had the privilege to be joined by the legendary Doc Emmerich a couple of seasons ago, and we continue Youngstown Steelhounds night here on By All Means with the first voice of the Steelhounds, Mr. Bob Hoffman is on the phone with us. Bob, it is great to catch up with you. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. Great to hear from you, too. So I, I, let's kind of let's go back to the you know, mid-2000s. You were the first voice of the Steelhounds. How did that all work out? How did you end up in Youngstown calling Steelhounds hockey that first season? Well, you know, it's so funny. It's such a, such fond memories, and, and it's great to kind of take this trip down memory lane to think back what, what you know, to me, crazy almost two decades ago uh, when you look back as to when the start happened. And, and for me personally, I, I was broadcasting in the American Hockey League with the Utah Grizzlies at the time and, and was working with that organization who, who was going to make a move down from the American Hockey League to the, uh, to the ECHL. And at that particular time, it just started to really all come together like a perfect storm for myself, who uh, I'm originally as, as, you know, some people and friends and family I, I have back there in Northeast Ohio know and some of the old Steelhounds folks. But I am originally from Coggle Falls, Ohio, um, born and raised. So uh, to me, it was kind of everything coming together of uh, I had a new daughter who was, um, you know, at two at the time that we moved to Youngstown, um, getting her closer to grandma and grandpa and to the family and getting back into the area that, that I love is I, 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 I love everything about Northeast Ohio and, and, you know, to see the arena going up there in Youngstown and in, in, you know, in the Mahoning Valley, it was really kind of a treat to be a part of it. And it, it was an easy sale for me and something that, um, you know, to my family, it was easy to say, let's make this journey and head back to the Midwest. Let's go to Ohio and be a part of this uh, a really cool endeavor of launching a, at the time, you know, a Central Hockey League team that would be there. And, and it was a really good fit and something we, we, we really uh, were excited about and enjoyed doing. So let's go back to that that first season with the Steelhounds. Well, you know, my memories of that league, the few years it was here in the Valley, was you know there were a lot of great goal scorers, but Bob, there were also a lot of guys that liked to fight too. <laughs> yes, there certainly was. You go back to that team, and and you know Chris Millette comes to mind as a uh, state friendly with uh, over the years, and Chris uh, the Hammer. I mean, he was somebody who could drop the gloves and go. And uh, you had guys that that did not mind uh, you know going at it in that league. Um, but you're right, there was a lot of really skilled, good goal scorers. And I remember when the team was being put together, you know, for for the the Steelhounds that first year. Um, very fortunate, really, to um, you know get a guy like Chris Richard. Uh, to come in somebody who had Central Hockey League all-star pedigree, somebody who had Ohio ties and going to the Ohio State University. So it was really a nice fit to get somebody like him to kind of anchor the uh, the, the center spot on the first line. And then I remember the day that, a, a, you know, a, a former NHL player named Jeff Christian walked into the Steelhounds offices because of his affinity, much like myself, from Northeast Ohio and the fondness 
of his time playing with the Cleveland Lumberjacks and then also playing in the NHL for a, a short stretch with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, you know, right there in the, 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 that corner of Ohio was a great fit for him. His wife was from Ohio. And so all of a sudden we, we blinked and, um, you know, had really two cornerstones um, to the success of those teams and also, uh, you know, two of the top five scorers over that time frame that the Steelhounds were playing in the in the Central Hockey League that the league had. I, they were all-stars and guys that were, you know, right up there as number one, number two in the league and scoring each and every year. You know, I'll never forget being there, being in the press box, being around that first game that, that happened and you know, just the, the action and, and the crowd. And, and one of the biggest challenges, of course, was, you know, Youngstown wasn't a hockey area. You guys kind of had to teach the fans the sport. Yeah, you know, it, and, you know, we, we were pretty pleased when we got in, not really knowing when we scratched the surface of how many hockey fans would truly be right there in Youngstown. And, and we were pleasantly surprised. There was a, a good chunk of fans that followed the Penguins, the, the Blue Jackets that started kind of commanding a following uh, availability on TV, obviously helped and people that were becoming fans. So I think that that helped in some ways with it. Um, but you certainly look back to that first that first game, as you were mentioning, the electricity and the buzz. Uh, to have the packed house there, and 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 really, I I still think that that arena is, you know, you know, even when it's not full, is one of the loudest that I've ever been been in and been a part of. And um, you know, when you when you were able to get an entire, uh, you know, full house population in there, it was certainly fantastic. And and the noise, the buzz, the energy, the electricity, it was always great to have, uh, you know, th- those those exciting games in there. And one of the things I always like to talk about when I've got an announcer on at any different level is, you know, in that league, boy, travel, you were all over the place playing in that league. <laughs> it is, and it's really funny because uh, um, I, I, I have hung up the uh, the head the, the headset and the mic, and and uh, really, you know, not in a bad way, but just in a, a life evaluation way. Um, it was that year that did it for me uh, with all that travel. Um, it made me really uh, think about all the time that I was spending on a bus and away from home. And, and I mentioned my daughter previously, and you know, she was just now getting ready to start kindergarten, and so it, it, it really took a lot of, uh, you know, self-inflection to say to myself, what do I want to do? And, and, you know, I love being a part of, of hockey and it's something I can never um, see myself not doing. And, um, you know, when those trips to, you know, Corpus Christi, Texas is a memory I have that we went and played down in Texas and then the road trip ended in Corpus Christi. And we had to then drive back from Corpus Christi to Youngstown uh, right on Super Bowl Sunday um, weekend. We played the night and Saturday night in Corpus and, and we're driving stopped um, somewhere along the path. It might have been in Tennessee somewhere to actually watch the Super Bowl. And then you get into Youngstown like at the end of the next day. You know, it was there were two day full journeys to get into some of those spots because the Central Hockey League was really not geographically um you know, centric to, to, you know, to Ohio, the closest bus trip we had was Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and it was actually in Mississippi. They played in, in, in South Haven, Mississippi, just across the, the Tennessee Mississippi border. So uh, that was the closest journey. Wichita and Tulsa uh, were like the next two. So we were continually dealing with those long trips, uh, even a bus ride to Albuquerque, New Mexico to play the Scorpions. So it was a challenge. It was interesting for sure. And, um, you know, again, looking back, that was probably the biggest catalyst to, to really change my career focus and, and get me off the air, if you will. 
you know, I was thinking back to my my couple years in the New York Penn League, and our longest broadcast, our longest trip for a broadcast, kind of compared to your shortest trip. So I guess I shouldn't complain about those bus trips in the low low A minor leagues for baseball because uh, that was nothing compared to what you guys were doing. Well, it was funny because we would it would be that way. We'd be heading out on a trip, and I, I helped put some of the itineraries together and get us ready for our travel. And you know, it'd be like that first stretch of the of, of the trip. We'd be leaving it, uh, which was really a good a good move on on the coach of the or on the on, on the part of the organization, the coach to um, kind of strategically. We'd leave at seven o'clock at night on a on a a Wednesday night, say hypothetically, knowing that we were going to sleep a good chunk and 14 hours later would be 9 a.m. And then we'd be getting to that spot, whether it was Wichita, Tulsa, into Mississippi, or if it was down to Louisiana to play the Mudbugs in Bossier, Shreveport. Um, so those trips, you know, we kind of got used to because you were able to, as long as you were able to sleep on a bus, which, you know, 90% of us were, I always, I had no trouble with that. And I always found it just terrible to think of the guys that couldn't sleep while traveling like that. And that, that would be up all night and there were a handful of those guys that just didn't sleep well um, moving like that on a bus but if you were able to catch them sleep you could get you know a good eight hours overnight while the bus was moving and know that 80 or 12 hours um, that you were going to be you know transporting the team was going to be while you're in your bunk asleep so it you know all in all not too bad it was when you really trickled into that next eight hours if you're coming back from you know, Fort Worth, Texas, back to Ohio, and it was going to be a 20-hour drive, then, you know, you can only do so much sleep in your mind and then starts playing tricks with you about how long you've been stuck in the, the, the small confines of a bus. Well, that, that, uh, as soon as you mentioned the Bossier Shreveport mud bugs, it immediately took me back to sitting behind the control board, you know, producing a lot of those games that uh, you called that first year and, and some of the uh, creative names that were throughout that league. Yeah, I think that league really, uh, you know, in history would go down. If you go back and take a peek at it, you had some really great nicknames. You had some great logos, the colors. I, I The Odessa Jackalopes will always be one of my, my favorite nicknames for a team, and, and certainly their logo with the big jackrabbit um, was outstanding. Um, there were some really cool and fun things that went about with that league. And, and like you mentioned earlier, the games were exciting from the, the energy and the buzz, but then the physicality of the game was still there and present. Every team – you know, had a good two, three guys that weren't, weren't afraid to drop the gloves and go. And, um, you know, so it, re- it really was exciting hockey. And you, you rarely, you know, didn't see a game that didn't entertain you. I mean, it rarely was a, a situation that you didn't have excitement all the way to the end. And that league did a nice job of really putting that all together and, and you know, finding a niche that fit what, um, you know, smaller markets were, were dying for and where hockey fans could kind of go on to that double A level and, and resonate towards a player, towards a team, and try to will their, their hometown team on to success. So, uh, you know, I'm a fan of the Central Hockey League uh, back in the old days when it was, it was still in existence. And, um, you know, I think that it did a really nice job of setting up a lot of good things. We are wrapping up our conversation with the original voice of the Youngstown Steelhounds, Bob Hoffman. And you said you, you've hung up the headset, but uh, you're still highly involved in the sport. Bob, tell us what you're doing currently. Yeah, no, I, I've been very fortunate in my journey. And, and after I left Youngstown, I ended up um, leaving the team side of things for a short stretch and, and, and went on to work for a league office in their operations department. And then ultimately as a deputy commissioner for, for the particular league. And uh, after that, did a little consulting and, and found myself fortunate enough um, to settle in Tucson, Arizona 
uh, down in the American Hockey League is the president of the franchise down here. We're affiliated and owned by the by the Arizona Coyotes, and this is our sixth year, uh, which is crazy to me to think it's been six years that our our team, the Tucson Roadrunners, have been playing down here in Tucson, um, and and you know really you know, putting together all the things that I've learned from different areas of the franchise franchises I've been with, including you know my two years in Youngstown and. And, and trying to apply that down here to really grow a nice brand and grow a, a franchise that's going to be here for decades to come. And, uh, you know, very fortunate, excited. My daughter, I mentioned earlier, is, the, you know, going into kindergarten uh, to show how time flies is now a sophomore down here at the University of Arizona. And so it's, uh, you know, it's amazing to think of all that uh, the journey that's happened over those, those uh, you know, 14, 15 years and where we are now. Now, as soon as you mentioned the University of Arizona, I am a huge Wildcats fan. We were just talking about them in one of our previous segments. I love that part of the country. One of my best friends relocated to the Mesa era, area out there. So I mean, we'll have to reconnect if I could get back out there. But this was so much fun, not only leading up to today and the game that is coming up on, on Saturday here on Western Reserve Radio, but... I, I love being able to go back and, and think about those games and the broadcast that we did and sitting behind the control board. And, you know, a lot of the fun of that was just our conversations off the air when you had a chance to talk, you know, between periods or between commercial breaks. And uh, this was absolutely a lot of fun to be able to catch up with you. Mark, it was great. I appreciate you so much for thinking of me on it. And good luck, uh, obviously, with the game and, and, and some of the memories with the Steelhounds. Obviously, uh, probably still some Steelhound fans there and people that were a part of, of that short journey. So it's, it's great to hear that it's, it's carrying on, and, and, and best of luck and best of wishes to you. Appreciate it. That is the president uh, of the Roadrunners, and uh, we appreciate a couple minutes of his time, the original voice of the Youngstown Steelhounds. Uh, that is Bob Hoffman, and we are going to continue this trip down memory lane in future episodes of this show. Uh, we spent the last couple of weeks looking into the Youngstown Pride, uh, the Mahoning Valley Hardhats, the Mahoning Valley Thunder, you know, just a lot of the other teams that were involved in sports here in the Valley uh, reached out to the original voice of the Scrappers. So we're going to have a lot of fun with this, but we'll wrap up today's show next on By All Means. You're listening to Western Reserve Radio, home of the Youngstown Phantoms. On the Live 365 Network and the Live 360. Wrapping up today's episode of By All Means. As you go down memory lane, talking Youngstown Steelhounds. Don't forget the Steelhounds night for the Youngstown Phantoms coming up Saturday. Hear the game right here on Western Reserve Radio. Head down to the arena, get your tickets. Pucks and a pause night as well at the arena. Bring your phone, plug in some headphones, listen to some great memories of the Youngstown Steelhounds with the call of Matt Lipsack here on Western Reserve Radio. Thank you to Tim Samsell and Bob Hoffman who joined us to uh, remember uh, the Youngstown Steelhounds here on By All Means. We're going to continue to do this in upcoming weeks with the Mahoning Valley Thunder, the Youngstown Pride, the Scrappers from way back when they first started in 1999. So we're going to have a lot of fun with this here in the next few weeks. Jim and Dave have put a lot of time into Saturday's broadcast that they do for every Phantoms broadcast here on Western Reserve Radio. So looking forward to that coming up on Saturday. Don't forget that the show is available in podcast form. Just search for By All Means on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, 
and many of your favorite places to listen to podcasts or just find me on Twitter. That's uh, at Mark underscore means at M-A-R-C underscore M-E-A-N-S. For owner-operator Jim Craven, my co-host and executive producer Dave Ferris, my name is Mark Means. You've been listening to By All Means presented by Mill Creek Golf Course right here on Western Reserve Radio. And there's a steal by Odin. Odin on his horse. Can he get around McBrain? He fires, he scores! Jordan, gold-handed, 2 nothing against town.